morning, Renaissance family. My name is Sam, and I'm a volunteer here, and I'm just going to read the word. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, and NIV. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. What's going on, Renaissance? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, before we get in today, I want to open up in a word of prayer. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, uh, you know the weight that people carry. You know the burdens of hearts. You know the frustrations. You know the joys. You know the ups. You know the downs. Uh, God, as we come to crack open your word, Father, I pray that you would meet us exactly where we are, that you would speak to us your words of life. And your words would be like honey out of a rock, God, that they would uh, be food for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. All right, so my name is Jordan. I am really glad to be with you guys today. What a November we have already had. Um, unless you've been living under a rock, obviously, um, no doubt, you've heard of some of the um, madness that is our, our country, our nation, the division. Um, and quite honestly, for myself, I woke up every single day for the last probably 10 days wondering, what do I do? Um, and that's a question uh, that I think is a really poignant thing to ask. Uh, here's a really good question that I want to ask for today. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? What do you do when there's, uh, there's nothing that you can do and you find yourself in a situation that gives you anxiety, you find yourself in a situation that's not what you want it to be, but there's no good options. And let's all keep it a buck, uh, even if the election really has you frustrated, ain't nobody moving to Canada, right? <laughs> Puerto Rico maybe, but nobody's moving to Canada. <clears throat> so what do you do when uh, you're, there's nothing that you can do, when there's really no really good options, and you find yourself sometimes maybe filled with anxiety or, or pressure or frustration, and there really is no good option on the table. Now, I certainly don't want to forecast uh, that everybody feels anxiety because of the election, uh, but certainly, no matter who you are, at some point in life, you will hit a season, you will hit a time, you will find yourself in a set of circumstances where there's nothing that you can do. For some people, especially now around Thanksgiving time, it's that your family and the relationships in your family are strained. And you know you're going to go home this week and you're going to have your uncle over and you guys have prayed about it. You've talked to people. You've had family counseling. You've had intervention. But your family is crazy. <laughs> and you're going to be in that house on Thursday with a bunch of crazy people and there's nothing that you can do. And even now, thinking about it, it gives you, it gives you some anxiety. For a lot of people, those unresolved tensions are certainly not a game. 
For others, it's your relationship. And Thanksgiving is a time where everybody's going to be asking about that someone else. And for some of you guys, your marriage or your relationship is not in a good place. And you've tried. You've gone to counseling. You've read books. You've done the love dare. You've made each other your favorite meals. You've done foot massages. You've done it all. And nothing seems to be working. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? For others, uh, you find yourself uh, going to Thanksgiving, and that one aunt is going to ask you, why don't you ever bring anybody nice home? And you want to go into full clapback mode, like, listen, auntie, worry about your own little dysfunctional relationship. <clears throat> but there's nothing that you can do. You've gone on Tinder, Christian Mingle, Match, J-Date. You've been looking for Jewish dudes. Like, you've, been, you've done it all. And you found yourself in this position where there's nothing that you can do. For other people, and my family's in this boat right now, it's a health situation. And you've spoken to the best doctors in the world. And when that doctor walks in a room, she gives you that news that, hey, we've tried everything else. We've tried these tests. And this is what it is. What do you do when you're in those moments where it just is what it is? And no matter how much advice you go after, no matter how much you run after a solution, you find yourself stuck in between a situation that no matter what you choose, it doesn't relieve the anxiety. It doesn't relieve the stress. And we, we come to these places where we're not really looking for a solution. And I love solutions. If you could change your situation that's bad, great, change it. But a lot of times we come to these places, we come to these situations where we cannot change our circumstances. And what do we do when we're in these moments? You might be going frantic trying to find options, but none of them are really good. Now, there's three words that probably sum up the conversations I've had in the last number of weeks, uh, the feelings that people are processing. Uh, the first is that people feel overwhelmed. Uh, people feel overwhelmed just with all the craziness going on in their life, in this country, in their family, with their bank account, uh, with Sally Mae hitting them up every single month. Uh, you just feel overwhelmed. The other one is you feel helpless. You feel like you've tried a lot of different things. You feel like you've uh, made some decisions that uh, you've tried everything you could do within your power and then nothing seems to help. The last one is maybe you feel fearful. And certainly this is how I feel uh, when I think about uh, what life could look like in America uh, under a law and order presidency as a black man. That doesn't fill me with a bunch of warm and tinglys. So what do you do when there is nothing that you can do in the moment. Now, if you're like me, uh, you're going to be tempted to maybe fall into resentment, bitterness, anger, and especially anger at God. Why would God allow these things to happen? Why would God put you in a situation where God could act, but for whatever reason, God is not acting? Now, fortunately for us, the Bible gives us some answers. Uh, and one of the things I love about Scripture uh, is that it was written to a group of people who knew much more than we know what it felt like to be overwhelmed, to be helpless, or to be fearful. And they knew that feeling firsthand. Scripture that Samantha just read, it wasn't written to a bunch of Christians trying to decide where they're going to do brunch. No shade against brunch, y'all. Brunch is life. I'm all about it. But it wasn't written to a, a group of people uh, that were a majority 
that were trying to sway things one way or another. As a matter of fact, it was written to these really marginalized, really pushed down, forgotten, targeted group of people called Christians. And the scripture that we just read today is one of those great examples. It's written by a guy named Peter. And uh, if you've been around church for a little bit, Peter was one of Jesus's closest followers. And after Jesus was crucified, about a generation after, maybe 30, 40 years after, um, the Christian church was spreading. And they were living in a place under this dude named Nero. Now, Nero is best described as if the Joker uh, was the mayor of a city, right? Batman and Joker, like that phrase of some men just want to watch the world burn, that comes from Nero. Because for six days straight, Nero burned down his own city. Three quarters of the city was on fire. And he did it, and he blamed the Christians. And the Christians started to get this reputation uh, and they were literally uh, the most hated people in that society. They were so misunderstood. They were hated. They were targeted. And it was uh, probably the most uh, fearful thing that they can live through. Um, Peter writes this letter to them at a time where they are going uh, persecution. And by persecution, I don't mean that people were saying nasty things about them, that people didn't like them and people were hurting their feelings. I'm not talking about that. Uh, by persecution, I mean that entire households, men, women, and children were dragged out of their homes and brought to the Colosseum and lit on fire. So when Peter describes some of the things going on in 1 Peter, he says things like in 1 Peter 4.12, hey, don't be alarmed by the fiery trials that you're going through. And by, when Peter was saying fiery, he literally meant the fiery trials. And in the scripture in 1 Peter 5, he talks about your enemy walks around like a roaring lion. And what Peter was saying was these Christians would identify with it because they had been going to the Colosseum where Christians were being fed to literally roaring lions. Now, this is the letter that Peter writes to this group of people who are experiencing uh, being overwhelmed beyond despair, feeling helpless in real ways and being fearful for their lives. Now, one of the things that's so interesting about Christianity is that from its very beginning, uh, not only was it a marginalized group, but it was also um, Christianity never fit the mold in terms of religions, right? Back in the day, every religion had a temple, and every temple had priests, and every, temple, every priest made sacrifices. But when Christianity hit the scene, people would say, where's your temple? Say, we don't have no temple. Our body's a temple. But where are your priests? We don't have a priest. Jesus is our priest. Well, who makes the sacrifices? We don't need sacrifices. Jesus was our sacrifice. And this group of people was so misunderstood that they were the ones to get blamed for stuff. And they find themselves in a situation that is literally life or death. And Peter comes along amidst this time, and he gives them a word. Now, this is not the most emotionally satisfying answer for people who want an answer, and you want an answer right now. But this is what Peter tells them to this group of people. In 1 Peter 5 and 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We'll get to how the situation will resolve itself. We'll get to what God is doing in the midst. But the first thing you need to get down, the first thing you need to get when you are in one of these in the meantime moments where you're feeling overwhelmed or helpless or fearful is you need to learn how to cast your anxiety on God because God cares for you. In the way the Greek um, reads it, um, the literal Greek translation uh, says it, uh, all your anxiety, all the anxiety that you have, cast on him because he cares for you. 
All of the anxiety that you have, all the anxiety about the election, all the anxiety that you have about your dating life, all the anxiety you have about your finances, all the anxiety you have about your health or the health of someone in your family, all of that anxiety about whatever the situation is in your life, cast on him because he cares for you. Now, our anxieties were meant to be cast, not carried. God doesn't say that you'll never have anxieties. Uh, as a matter of fact, life oftentimes gives us great reasons why we should be anxious. Um, and God says, this is what God's Word is telling us today, that those anxieties are not meant to be carried by you. They're not meant for you to push them down and put on a, a Christian saying, on the out, a Christian bow on the outside to make it sound nice and spiritual. Uh, those anxieties are meant to be given away. And the way that you and I will be able to navigate times when you're feeling overwhelmed or fearful, or helpless, is when you, are, you and I give those anxieties away to God. Now, a, a great uh, illustration or definition of cast, uh, or uh, what it means to cast, is to throw something forcefully in a specified direction. If you've ever gone fishing, nobody gets the fishing rod and just goes and just like drops it in front of them. Like, here we go. I got a big one. To cast means to throw something forcefully in a different direction. And this is what Peter is getting at, that your anxieties will not lift themselves off of your hands with you doing nothing. Your anxieties will not uh, go away from you simply because of your well wishes and your well intentions that you and I need to do something intentionally to cast our anxieties away from us. And what we've talked about the last couple of months um, is the Lord's Prayer. And prayer is the primary place that we unload and we cast our anxieties off of us and onto God. And listen, the first thing you can do, really practical thing, if you've been here for the Lord's Prayer series, uh, if you haven't, go check it out on our podcast. The first thing that you and I need to do in order to cast our anxieties is to know what it means to pray. And I'm not talking about putting together this perfectly written uh, choreographed prayer, but just simply going through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I've done it this past week, and I was praying, and I was feeling anxious and, and worried and just, just bothered on the inside, and I started to pray, and I said, God, you're my Father. Now, immediately, uh, when I think about God as my Father, uh, it changes some things because it means that I'm welcomed. It means that I'm wanted. It means that when God thinks about me, he gets excited. Now, I'm a dad, and I give a sermon illustration at least once a week about Jameson, so I, this is my quota. <laughs> Anytime I hear Jameson call for me, especially if it's like early in the morning, I do what any good dad would do. I pretend I'm not listening, I'm sleeping, <laughs> and I let my wife get him. But anytime after 7.30, I'm your man. <laughs> That's my good time. Hey, but the good news is God is a much better dad than I am. The scripture says in Psalms that he neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is always awake. He is always around. He is always attentive. And you can go to your father with your anxieties that God wants to hear them. Now, all of us, uh, I hope, have friends and people in your life that you know will not just tolerate what you're saying, even about small, mundane things, but they want to hear you, and they want you to share those things with them. And God is the ultimate example of that. God, as your father, wants you to share these things with him. And if you don't get that right, you'll get everything else wrong. Secondly, the second part of that first line in the prayer is our father who is in heaven. And this is the good news. 
that your Father in heaven means that God's ways are not your ways, and God's thoughts are not your thoughts, and that God is separate and above and apart and greater than everything else on this horizontal plane that has given you so much anxiety, that is filling your heart with so much fear and helplessness, and that to pray, our Father in heaven, you're praying, God, even though I can't do anything about this, you can. And here's what this even praying that first line does. This is what it did for me. Uh, it reorbited my heart, my mind around God. Now, we talked about this in the Lord's Prayer series. The purpose of prayer is to reorbit you around God and not God around your situations. That's what happens in my life. Uh, when things go haywire, all of a sudden, that thing, that situation, that complaint, that criticism literally becomes the center of my universe, and I'm orbiting around that thing. I'm spending the entirety of my day and my life going against this thing that has now become central. There are people who have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on plastic surgeries all because of something somebody said to them when they were in sixth grade. That thing became center, and their entire life they spent orbiting around that. And this is what Jesus is getting at in the Lord's Prayer, that all of us have something that will be central in our life. All of us have one thing that will be central, and if we don't do the hard work of prayer, of making sure that God is in the center of our lives and everything is orbiting around that, you and I will crash and burn. If you take the moon off of its orbit around the earth, it will crash and it will burn. And spiritually and emotionally, so many times I'm, I feel like I'm about to crash and burn. It's because oftentimes, not just my set of circumstances. Hear this. Listen, there have been Christians who have endured uh, uh, things that you and I could barely imagine, and they've done it, and they persevered, not because the circumstances were greater or better, but simply because God remained ultimate. And they knew that God was their father. They knew that God cared about them. And they knew that, that sometimes, even though uh, the ways that God works are not the ways we would do it, but they trusted him throughout. So first, doing the hard work of prayer. Um, Psalm 34 and 18 gives us a great reminder. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If that's you, if you've, if you've ever felt brokenhearted, if you've ever been really disappointed with life, if you've ever been crushed in your spirit, this is what the scripture tells us. Lord is close to you, even if you can't feel it. Now, the hard work of, of, of prayer is making God central again. And when we say the point of prayer is to return us to our true orbit, uh, we, don't, we don't mean that we just basically say that God is central, but that in prayer we pause, we spend time, apart from everything else, we set aside time and we make God central again. Now, secondly, uh, if you're going to learn what it means to cast your anxieties on God, uh, cast means to throw away. It also means not to take on. There are some things that you and I could do right now in moments where we feel overwhelmed or helpless or fearful that actually load more anxieties on us, and that is social media. A lot of us in here need to take a break. Just give it one good week. Them selfies will be there when you return. When you're in a bad place, going to social media is literally uh, like taking gasoline and pouring it, on, pouring it over the fire that's already on your heart. And whatever you do, for the love of God, please do not read the comments. I went on a YouTube video, man, I started reading those comments, and I, was, I went in feeling decent about life. And by the time I got to like comment eight, I was like, yo, we're done. <laughs> this is it. 
Now, to cast your anxieties away means that you are not intentionally loading more things on it. And if you're like me, if your news feed looks like mine does, uh, if your Twitter feed looks like mine does, all you're going to see are more things that are going to incense you, that are going to fill you with more and more rage. Now, listen, everybody needs news. You need to know what's going on in the world, and that's fine and good. But maybe just take a week. If you're in, a, if you're in one of those in-the-meantime moments where you are frustrated and overwhelmed and helpless and fearful, social media is not going to be a salve to your wounds. It's only going to pour salt in your wounds. It's going to make you angrier and more frustrated and more hopeless. One of the things um, that I'm doing this week, this is my challenge to you. For one week, you will not see J.O. anywhere on the book, on the gram, uh, or Twitter. And it's one of the things that I'm doing for my self-care. Because when I go on those websites, when I go on Twitter, when I go on Facebook, and I see some of these things that people post, and I read some of the things that people actually believe, I'm like, yo, this, this world is a really crazy place. And it fills me with rage, and I can't tolerate it. And to cast our anxieties away means that we're not taking on more things um, that make us anxious, that make us angry. Third thing is, Scripture says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him, right? So there is a specified target for you to, there's a specified direction and target for you to unload your anxieties and your frustrations and your pain. Here's what I found in my life, and I found it to be true in everybody that I know. If your pain, if your anxiety, if your frustrations are not transformed with God in prayer, they will be transmitted to other people. If you do not do the hard work of, in prayer, of reorbiting God, reorbiting your life around God, of making God central again, of casting your anxieties on him, you will take those anxieties and you will transmit them to other people because our anxieties are not meant to be carried and you're going to unload them on somebody. My brother's here. I'm going to tell a funny story about him. You can make fun of him uh, when he's out. This is for all the times that uh, growing up, I'm kidding, I'm not going to do that. Hey, but one time, uh, shout out to all the 80s and 70s babies, right? Growing up in a, in, um, growing up, the, one of the most, the best places on a Friday night was Blockbuster, right? It was lit. You would see everybody around, right? <clears throat> and we went to, uh, I, I, I remember one Friday night really well. Uh, my brother had just had a knee surgery. And um, he was going through physical therapy and rehab, and he was in a whole lot of pain. So going to Blockbuster was like uh, a dream come true. It was like going to Disney World. He was limping as hard as he could to get to the counter. Uh, we rented a movie, got back to the house, threw the DVD in uh, the DVD player. Everybody was excited, and it didn't play. DVD error. Took it out. There were scratches all over it. My brother was so mad. He was like, no, we going, I'm going back with you to, to Blockbuster. He walked to the counter, he got out the car, he jumped out the car, rolled out. <laughs> he was so eager to get there. Limped as fast as he could to the counter. He gave this 13-year-old girl the worst night <laughs> of her life. What kind of person are you? <laughs> Giving out scratch DVDs? She had tears in her eyes. Hey, if we're not careful, the pain that we have... <laughs> We will transmit that to other people. The real pain that you have, 
the real frustration, the real anxiety that you have, if that is not transformed, if that is not cast in a healthy place, it will go to the nearest person next to you. And there's been so many arguments in marriages, in families, in apartments that have started, not because of uh, the toothpaste cap being left off, but there's been deep angst, there's been deep anxiety already going on inside somebody's soul, in someone's heart, and then when the opportunity arises, they erupt, and they cast out, and they lash out on the nearest person. And you want to talk about one quick way to destroy a good relationship, and that's casting and taking your anxieties on other people. And our anxieties are not meant to be carried. You're not strong enough to carry them. You're going to need to unload them on someone. And Scripture says, cast your anxieties on God. Now, really quickly, one of the things that transformed my prayer life, probably more than anything else, I was talking to my therapist about it once, and I realized that I didn't feel the license to pray angrily. Like, I always felt like I needed to end it really nice, like, and Jesus, I love you, amen. <laughs> I kind of felt like unless I was, like, kind of happy, then God was going to, like, oh, nope, he ain't say thank you, so... We're going to take away everything from his life. And I kind of felt I was fearful to even pray uh, the reality of what I was actually feeling. But if you read the Psalms, if you read Lamentations, if you read the books in the Bible of, of, of men and women that have walked with God and God honored them, they prayed some of the angriest prayers ever. And an angry prayer is a good prayer because God already knows your feelings in the first place. You haven't tricked God by putting a smiley face on it, by putting LOL at the end of your prayer. God, you abandoned me, LOL. You're crazy. <laughs> That's not something uh, that fools God. God is not surprised by our anger, by our rage, by our feeling like God is distant, like God is not with us and God is not for us. But prayer is that one place that you and I could go, and in order for us to cast our anxieties on him, we have to fully cast our anxieties on him. All of them. All of them. God, you left me. God, you abandoned me. God, you failed me. God can handle all of that. He can handle all of it. Your raw feelings, every piece about you, all of your anxieties, God can handle that. And you don't, you're not a hypocrite. You're not a heretic if you pray angry prayers, but rather if you are praying through your anger, praying through your tears is the path to finding God. One of the things that Peter says as the scripture goes on, the reason that we pray to God is because he cares for you. And I love uh, the way the scripture says it because it doesn't say that God cares about you referentially that, oh, yeah, God cares about you, but that God cares for you, that it is God's task for your development, that God's care, uh, that, that you are God's responsibility. Scripture says that God cares for us, and later in the verse, um, it says we get this promise, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Now, this is really, really difficult to believe, particularly in these in-the-meantime moments where you are feeling helpless and over overwhelmed and uh, fearful. It's really hard to believe that God cares for you. And what I hope to give you guys in this next couple of minutes is just a different category for God. 
Now, when we are in these moments where um, we're tempted to believe, or we're, we're fearful that God is absent, God is apathetic, or that God is angry, that God is absent, that God is not with me. If he was with me, I would have had this by now. If God was with us, this wouldn't still be happening. If God was with us, this wouldn't be happening. This situation wouldn't go down the way it went down. You can fill in the blank, and we feel like God is not with us. Or even worse than God being not with us is that he's there and he doesn't care. That God is like um, the lazy father that sits on the couch with the remote in his hand and doesn't do anything and the house is going crazy and he doesn't want to be bothered. It's easy to feel in these tough times that God really doesn't care because if he cared, why isn't he doing anything? Or maybe that God is angry at you. The reason this is happening is because God is getting you back. I told you to read that Bible 15 minutes. You did like 13 So now God is getting you back. You shouldn't have gone there. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have had that last drink. Shouldn't have done this. And now God is paying you back. See, God doesn't pay us back. Scripture tells us that all of our sins were laid on Christ. So anything that happens to us is not payback. It's a win back. But in these moments, we fear that God is either uh, absent or or he's apathetic or he's angry. And I just want to turn to one scripture in John 11. That is one of the greatest descriptions for giving us another category on how we think about God. Uh, John 11, we read it a little bit. It's about Jesus and a dude named Lazarus. If you've been to Sunday school growing up, I'm sure you would have heard this story. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. We'll stop there. John 11.3. This is the first word that you get from uh, uh, Mary. Jesus, the one that you love is sick. Now, I don't know if you've ever doubted if God loves you, if God knows your name, if God cares about you, but there's no doubt at all that Jesus loved Lazarus, he knew his name, and he knew about his situation. John 11.3. Jesus knows about Lazarus. He loves him, and he cares about his situation. And this is what Jesus does. This is, this is how God acts sometimes. Um, verse 4, says, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So he, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what do you think it says? When he heard that Lazarus was sick, It says he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, all of us would think, if you love me, if you care about me, you will immediately resolve the situation that I'm going through. But this is what Jesus says, and he did in 11 verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Intentionally, Jesus stayed where he was for two more days, even though he knew that they were kind of freaking out. Even though they knew that they were overwhelmed and helpless and fearful, Jesus stayed where he was for two days. Now, I don't have a category for any person that I've ever dealt with um, that operates like this. The only category we can have is that sometimes Jesus moves, Jesus uh, relates to us in ways that are much above our ways. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we would do things a whole lot differently than the way God does it. But it doesn't mean... When God does things like this, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that he's not uh, attentive to what's going on 
in your life, that God deserves a whole other category, that sometimes God works best in darkness. And the point of uh, what Peter is getting at and, and, and asking them, this is what he tells them to do. I want you to stand firm in the faith. Not stand firm in your circumstances because those change. Stand firm in the faith. And what is that faith? That God will make everything perfect for us all the time? Of course not. To stand firm in, in the faith. A woman named Ann Voskamp, uh, her sister, got killed in a car accident when she was only two years old. And her primary issue that she said was going on in her life, at the end of it was saying, uh, can we trust God's character? Now, in these in-the-meantime moments, you and I are going to need, above all, to learn to trust the character and the nature of God, despite whatever situation is going on. And this is when Peter writes this to this church. Listen, I know these terrible things are happening, but I want you to stand firm in the faith. Hold fast to the word of your confession. And the only reason he is saying this is not because their situation was good. It was horrendous. They were living under a literal tyrant. But he tells them to stand firm in the faith because they could trust not their circumstances, but the character and the nature of God. This is what Anne says in her book, 1,000 Gifts. She said the primary issue is whether or not we can trust God's character. Is God really loving? Is he really just? And her conclusion was this. God gave us Jesus. If God didn't withhold from us his very own son, will God withhold anything we need? If trust must be earned, Hasn't God unequivocally earned our trust with the bark on the raw wounds, the thorns pressed into his brow, your name on his cracked lips? How will he not graciously give us all things he deems best and right? He's already given us the incomprehensible. Now, this is what Anne is saying, and this is what Paul gets to later in Romans 8. If you want some collateral to know that God can be trusted, what better gift, what better thing could God give you than his very own son. If you want collateral on why you can trust God in dark times, what better, uh, what better thing could God ever give you than his son? Now, when Jesus was on that cross, nobody in a million years thought that anything good would have come out of it, and yet, you know what came out of it? The salvation of everyone who has placed their faith in him. And God moves in the dark. Sometimes God knows your situation. He knows your name. He loves you. And he stays where he's at for two days. Sometimes he knows this and he stays where he's at for two years. Sometimes God stays where he's at for two decades. But it doesn't mean that God is absent. It doesn't mean that he's angry. It doesn't mean that he's apathetic. And you and I, in these moments, this is the gift. This is the gift for us that we would learn to trust God and not our circumstances. Now, my fear for myself is that I would miss God amidst what's going on. In uh, Genesis 28, uh, Jacob it was wrestling with God, and he, was, um, he said a prayer uh, in Genesis 28 where Jacob says, um, Surely the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. That God was present with him, and he didn't know it. That he was unable to trace what God was doing. And I don't want us to miss God in a moment. I don't want God, us to miss God in a time where God is with us, and God is for us, and we can't see him through the pain or the anxiety or the, the helpless or fearful feelings. And in order for us to do this, you and I need to know what it feels like to, to reorient and reorbit our lives and to give God, to cast all our anxieties on him because God can take it and he cares. We can process it there, above, everywhere. 
God has earned our trust. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Hey, that's the question that you and I need to be asking ourselves today. If God didn't spare Jesus, how will he not graciously along with him give us all things that we need? Now, in just a minute, I want us to do something that you might not have done ever in your life, uh, but I want us to pray. Uh, you can pray silently. You don't have to pray out loud. Um, and I want you to give your anxieties, to cast your anxiety on God. Pray an angry prayer. Pray a sad prayer. Pray whatever prayer comes to mind, but I want you to cast your anxieties on him. If you don't know how to pray, uh, just close your eyes and move your lips and pretend like you're doing something. And um, at the end of the minute or so, I'll close this out in prayer. Even if you never prayed, close your eyes and cast your anxieties on God. You guys can go, go right now. God, you know the things uh, that makes my heart anxious. You know the things that make my heart fearful. And you know the things that make me feel overwhelmed. Uh, God, those things are real, and I'm not downplaying them. But God, help me to see you as my father. Help me to know that you care about even the words that we've just prayed, that you don't take them lightly. And even if you don't feel even if it doesn't feel like you're moving as fast as we want you to feel. Uh, God, help us to trust that you're loving and you care for us and you haven't abandoned us. Heavenly Father, you are in heaven and you're above all. Your knowledge surpasses all and your ways surpass our ways and much better than ours. But God, we don't understand everything and that gives us anxiety as well. So, God, we give them our anxieties to you. God, would you take them? Would you take them off our shoulders? Would you teach me how to pray this week? Would you teach me? Would you lead me into a life where I'm actually praying and casting my anxieties on you? God, would you meet us? Would your Holy Spirit comfort us? Would you speak to us? Would you let us know that we're not alone and nothing we're going through is meaningless? Oh, God, what a pit of despair if we believed that we're alone and this is meaningless. Father, you've earned our trust. You've earned our trust. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.